The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So today we will finish up chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, It's the longest chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. So we've been at our third week just in chapter 15. Um, Really this whole chapter uh, addresses the resurrection of Jesus Christ and why uh, that the resurrection is of utmost importance for us um, and what that means for mankind overall. Um, today, when we get to our section, Paul will we'll, um, start to address a little bit of the, the how and why. But I want to remind us where we've been. If you haven't been here, just get you up to speed really quick with chapter 15, and then we'll jump into our text. So the background of this chapter, Paul is writing to a group of believers in Corinth that do not believe in the resurrection. They don't believe that it's possible. So Jonathan uh, led off covering verses 1 through 11 for us. And he really, he covered the foundational verses of the resurrection of Christ. And so I want to read those for us this morning, starting in uh, chapter 3. We're in chapter 15, sorry, verse 3. It says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I have also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised, and on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of them who are still asleep, or most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Um, then... So that's the foundational verses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So then Justin uh, served us last week while walking through verses 12 through 34, where really the question is, okay, we've got the foundation verses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the the question then stands, well, well, if they didn't believe that, Paul answers the question, okay, if you don't believe these verses are true, then where do we stand? If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead... What does that mean? So that is the question that Paul goes to answer, and we see that in verse 17. So in verse 17 it says, And if Christ has not been raised, from, raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Also, the, but we know this is not true. In verse 20 it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, By man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So the fact is, since Christ was raised bodily, he was buried, he raised, he was seen, we see Jonathan covered that he was seen by many, Um, then there must be a resurrection of believers. So the question then is, as we keep answering these questions through this section is, okay, when's that going to happen? And in verse 23, it's kind of hidden in there. It says, Christ is the first fruits. In verse 23, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So the resurrection of, of the believers will occur at Christ's second coming. So that is really where we're going to focus today. Um, when we close this chapter out, is, is reviewing Paul's teaching to the church in Corinth about the how and the why of our future resurrected bodies.
I'm going to pray for a second before we jump in. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. I thank you just that it was, it was read before a group of people, Lord. And knowing that your word is what transforms, Lord. Lord, we thank you for these foundational truths that, that really hold the Christian faith, Lord. That you did rise. That you conquered the grave, Lord. And what that means to us, Lord, as the first fruits, that is, it is what is before us. Now, Lord, as we turn into these, these last verses to really discuss the, the how is that going to happen and, and really why that's going to happen, Lord. I pray that you would, you would give us, uh, you would give me wisdom. You'd be able to communicate through me the truths that you would want this group to, to have and to hold on to, to be encouraged by. Lord, I thank you for this time just to stand before um, and communicate, Lord, what you've placed on my heart as I've had the opportunity to sit um, at your feet this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, before we really jump into the how and the why of the resurrection, um, I think it would be good for us to get on the same page of, about the who and the what we are as men and women created in the image of God. So as we previewed this passage in the C groups this week, um, that's our format of community groups when we made midweek. We review what we've covered this past Sunday, and we also look to the text that we're going to cover in the upcoming week. Ryan made a comment that as he studied this passage, it reminded him that there's more than meets the eye. What's going around, uh, around us is, is more than what really meets the eye. For example, our own bodies. I mean, is it just, is it just flesh and blood and bones? Is that it? Is that what makes up a body? Or is it a, a set of complex cells that work together and there's chemicals that, that make emotions? But what the Bible teaches us and presents to us that, that the, bo- the body is more than just, just flesh and bones and blood and chemicals. It's actually a unity of two distinct things, a body, our physical body, and our souls. So we have a, dis- we have a unity of two distinct identities, our body and our soul. So the question is, the classic uh, question for evangelism is, is, you know, what's going to happen if I die tonight? You know, never, nobody ever dies to, at that day. It's always at night. What happens if I die tonight? Um, so, and really, that's, that's an offensive question because really death itself uh, is a subject that most people don't want to talk about or even think about. And especially in our culture, I personally was forced to, to stare death kind of down in the reality of it as a young man. I was nine years old and my father took his life. And so that was a reality quickly, okay, what death was. Um, but people try to, to distance themselves from death and not even remember it. Just try to get it away from them. I mean, really, can you even think about a cemetery located in Myrtle Beach? You might can think of maybe one or two if you really sit and think. But first thing is, you, we're not walking around. We're not seeing. We're not passing cemeteries. It's, it's away from our mind. We try to do it. We, we cordon off sections of the hospital to deal with people that are dying. We have specialized training for nursing to deal with that. So we, as a culture, we're trying to push it away. We don't want to see it, but, it, but it's, it's coming for us all in this room. I imagine most of you in this room also uh, 
do not know what it means to, to have a setting up with the dead. Can I have a show of hands of who knows what that means, like culturally what it means to have a setting up with the dead? Does anybody got a couple? Wow, I thought there would be at least a couple in here. So it's really a southern culture um, that's when it, uh, a loved one dies that it used to be, you know, you didn't have funeral homes and all that kind of stuff, that the body was brought to the person's home. So the body was set up in the home, the church and the community brought chairs, and so the, the, pay, the person's body was in the home. And you would have family members and loved ones sit in the room with the person's body all night long. Uh, so if you really did not spend a lot of time on it, there was a, there is a actual, um, a very good southern songwriter and artist named Ray Stevens. If you know Ray Stevens, just look him up. He has a great song about sitting up with the dead. It'll educate you on it all. But the point being, we, we, we try to, our culture has gone away from that. We, we, we try to distance ourselves from death. We don't want to talk about it. It's hard to get people even to, to do wills. You know, like you need to sit down and think about that you're going to die. You need to get your affairs in line for your family. But no matter how far we want to dissonance, like I said, death is coming for everyone in this room. So the question for the believer, what happens if I die tonight? The Bible teaches us that if we die tonight as a believer, we will be absent from the body, but presence with the Lord. So remember we have this, this uh, person, a unity of distinct unity, a unity of distinct parts of a body and a soul making up a person. So at death, the soul leaves in his presence with the Lord if you're a believer. Romans 6 verse 9 says, the resurrection of Christ has revealed uh, there's a new reality. So this new reality is actually the resurrection itself. That we see that Christ was raised and then he was raised with a new body. So we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. He's been reunited with a glorified body. Death no longer has dominion over him. So we see when we really talk about the resurrection, like a, a baseline definition of the resurrection, it rever- refers to actually a reuniting of the body and soul that's temporarily pulled apart at death. So what is it not? So we're talking about the resurrection, okay? Okay. So we, we need to kind of define what it's not really sitting in kind of a cultural context. It's not revivication or resuscitation. That's when someone dies and then they're brought back to life, but only to die again. We see that throughout the Bible with Lazarus and Dorcas, and we see that in our hospitals today. So it's not a, a revivication or resuscitation. But the resurrection is not uh, the walking dead. Uh, it's not zombies just kind of walking around without a soul. And it's also, it's not simply just spiritual life after death. It's not just that after this life, then our spirit, our soul just kind of goes and floats off into never-never land. So the resurrection itself refers to the eventual reuniting of our body and our soul never to die again. Now that we've kind of addressed the the how, uh, well now that we've addressed the who and the what of our bodies, I think it's time to jump in our text to to address the how and the why. So I'm going to open this up and we'll be jumping in verse 35. 
Verse 35 says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So this response that Paul gives, calling them fools, uh, really gives us insight to the posture of the question. Because these questions do not reflect a genuine interest, but more of a mocking taunt by those who denied the resurrection. You remember, that's who Paul is really writing to address. Uh, This term fool uh, has a deep biblical root uh, in Psalms, in the Psalms, in, in, in chapter 14, verse 1, and also in In chapter 53, verse 1, it tells us that it is the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. So the fool does not simply uh, suffer from an intellectual deficiency, but fails to take God into account. So in particularly, these fools in Corinth, I was was looking forward to getting to say that, these fools in Corinth, I couldn't say that in my house growing up. I couldn't call anybody a fool. But these fools in Corinth failed to take into account the creative power of God. God is the most creative one. So Paul patiently deals with these fools in verses 36 through 49 as he gives them illustrations to show God's great creative power. So in verse 37, there's an opening illustration here. It says, And what you sow is not the body, but that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. So this opening illustration from nature shows the striking difference between what is planted and what eventually grows. So we meet midweek to review the service and critique ourselves on, on preaching. So we want to get better, we want to do a better job of opening up a God's Word, expositoring it, walking through the text, communicating the text through, through the congregation so we can be really transformed by the Word of God. So one of the things that we fail on, and we know we fail on, we talk about a lot, is uh, using more visuals, having stuff on the screen, helping to connect dots, things like that. So this week I was like, I am not going to fail at this, alright guys? I have been, I'm going to be ready this week, I'm going to work on something, and give y'all a visual. All right, so here we got. You see it? I got the plant life cycle for you guys, okay? Y'all see this? We got on this side over here, I'm going to leave y'all out. We got some uh, flower, we got the roots down here, the leaves, the stem, oh, the roots, leaves, stem, and flowers. All right, you got that? We'll read a little bit about this plant life cycle for you. This is the first stage of the plant life cycle is the seed. Seeds, never wa- uh, seeds need water and sunlight to help them grow. Each seed can grow into its own plant. The covering is the outside of the seed, is the seed coat. The next stage of the plant life cycle is the seedling. First seed, the, fir- the first seed case breaks open, then roots grow out and dig into the ground. Next, the shoots grow up and out of the dirt. Later, leaf buds grow at the end of the shoot. Y'all expressed? This is actually Clara's science project for this year. She just finished that up. Uh, and so it was pretty neat to be able to prepare for this text and talk about this, this text from, from her perspective. And she knew I was going to preach it. She's seven years old. Um, uh, and to see this, this, watch this process, we were able to actually take it home when we were able to plant seeds and cotton, just cotton balls and water it. So it's in a clear, 
um, little uh, glass so you can see this actual whole process. You can see, see the seed pop open and the, the seed coat fall off. Uh, and so it was really neat to see that and to be able to communicate that to her to see that, that unless something dies, unless that seed dies, then the plant itself does not grow. And even the outer coating of that sheds off to, to fertilize the plant to help it grow. So the, the basic point here is that the body that we have now is going to be radically different than our resurrected body. That's what the point Paul is going through here, and we'll continue to see some other ones, that we, we, we can't get caught up so much about if we can't see it, because God is amazing, even in this first illustration in nature how he works and what is planted is totally different than what, is, uh, what comes out. I got excited about that and I'm off track on my visual. Um, so, okay, we've got this plant down. So the striking difference between what is planted and what eventually grows. In verse 38, he continues, he says, But, the, but God gives it a body he has chosen and to each kind of seed, its own body. Verse 39 says, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. This week on Monday, we took, I took a day off of work and took the... They've been asking for two years to go to the Riverbank Zoo and finally just made it happen in the schedule and was able to go up and, and do that and actually see that the God has given us a wide variety of animals. I mean, you're not going to roll up walking through the woods down here on some of the animals that we saw. So, for example, we, I, we went to this one display and I didn't know what it was. I was looking at it, see some kids running up. You know, there's kids everywhere, school trip. And they say, it's a hippo, it's a hippo. And I'm like, that's, that's not a hippo. And I'm like trying to look over at the sign and I'm like, that's a hippo. Because I couldn't read it. I didn't know what it was. It really wasn't a hippo. But I was like, oh, poor kids. They're going to have to get their teachers to correct them. But, I mean, like, there are some weird animals out there. There's some stuff that we do not see around here. And the point being that God, being back to the creative one, he's created things that we can hardly even imagine. We see it in nature. Verse 40, it says, There's heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory for the sun, another glory for the moon, and another glory of the stars. For the stars differs from the glory. Stars differ from stars in glory. The neat, sec- neat thing about this section when I was studying is, is really coming across uh, the Greek word for glory in this passage is actually doxa. So when he's talking about the, the various glories that he's made that we see in the sun and this moon and the stars... Uh, he uses the, the Greek term doxa. And actually, it's in this text, uh, it essentially describes the manifestation of supernatural splendor or divine glory. So some of you here might not know what, that's why we've, we've named this church doxa. What does that mean? You know, what, what is that? Because ultimately, uh, for us, that the church exists for God's glory, not ours. For His divine glory. So overall, with all these principles, all these illustrations, what I just want to remind us and what Paul is trying to do is he's patiently walking these fools through to see what, how great God is. It's just for us to be reminded of that. 
and how awesome and how creative he is. And just when we, we can't fathom the how, we shouldn't give up hope and faith that it is possible in God. I mean, that's what the baseline of the Bible is teaching us. That he is altogether all, he is another, he is different than us, his ways and his thoughts are above ours. And that we are to submit it when we can't fathom it. That we should search his word and ultimately when we, we can't grasp it, we know God's word is true, that that's where we submit to his authority and his greatness. So finally, the illustration, he, after he does this, it moves to the human body. That's what we're talking about today, right? The resurrection. This final illustration applies to the human body that dies and is buried and is transformed in the resurrection. Paul does not suggest that the resurrection body is different altogether, just like the plant and the seed is connected. So that's his big point he wants to go through here. Is that it's essentially it's in essence the same body. There's a, there's a continuity between the two bodies, but it's all, but it is different. So he wants to emphasize that the body that will be raised is radically different from its earthly counterpart. So he describes this radically different body starting in verse 42. It says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So this perishable, this earthly body that we have is perishable. It's susceptible to corruption in itself. So our bodies are affected uh, from this a sinful environment that we live in itself. It's, it's corruptible. It's, it can be broken down. But that's contrasted to our, our future heavenly body of not, it's being imperishable. It is not liable to corruption. Our current bodies are uh, sown in dishonor. So our current bodies are in a condition of being subject to shame. But our future body, contrasted, will be with glory. It will be in glory. Our current bodies is sown in weakness. We, we, we are frail and subject to disease. So, you know, I work in the hospital, so I see that all the time. The people don't see it coming. But we are, in the, by nature, our bodies are frail and subject to disease. And nobody thinks it's coming for them, right? I mean, no matter what, I mean, you, you don't think it's coming for you. But I'm telling you, you are frail and you're powerless to stop it. So you can, you can no matter what Dr. Oz says, no matter what diet he puts you on or what workout, you, could, you can get up and you can do P90X, T25, then insanity. You can go stop by at lunch to ISI and work out with Jamin. You go to Planet Fitness with Kramer in the afternoon. Your body eventually is going to get weak and break down. But the contrast to our glory, our heavenly body, that's not the truth with it. Our heavenly raised body will be with power. So overall, our current bodies are radically different from our future glorified bodies. And you might say, since we're talking about glorified bodies, that it's our future doxa body. So in our doxa bodies, there's no more sickness, there's no more death. 
in our future docks of bodies. There's no more shame because of sin. And in our docks of bodies, there's no more frailty and really no more temptation. As we move into verses 44 through 49, Paul's illustration really can be confusing. At least it was for me when I sat down to, to prepare the message. Paul speaks of, of the natural versus the supernatural, or the natural versus the spiritual body. The natural body versus the spiritual body. My summary statement for this section would be, Adam was created with a natural body. Right? We see that in Genesis, God fashioning Adam, breathing life into him. It says that Adam was, if we look at that text and we, we follow it through creation, that we see that, that it was, Adam was good in every way, but Adam wasn't perfect. He was good in every way, but not perfect. And through the first Adam, we receive our natural bodies. But through the last Adam, which is Jesus Christ, we will receive our spiritual bodies in resurrection. So this final contrast in verse 48 says, As was with the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. So we have born, there's no doubt, nobody would deny that we are born uh, we bore the image of the first Adam. That in creation, we are, we are directly, as Adam and Eve were created, we are in direct line that that's where we get our bodies from. And the truth is that those who belong to Christ are destined to bear His image as well. So Christ is the first fruit, His resurrection body that we see in Scripture. And it wasn't my intent today to chase all those down and show you what His body was like and how He ate and did all this stuff. But we just to know that, that, that He is our first fruit and, and that we see Christ's body as our prototype. But when is this going to happen, right? Verse 49 says, Just as we have borne the image of the Son of Man, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. It says that we shall also bear. So Paul makes clear that this transformation has not yet occurred. So our glorified docks of bodies lie in the future at the return of Jesus Christ. Paul makes a transition as we, we close out, starting in verse 50, really revealing the truth about the process of the resurrection. It says, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So Paul emphasizes that not only is the resurrection body possible in a reality of what we've been talking about, but really it is necessary. People cannot live in the external heavenly glory the way that we are in this current body. They have to be changed. It's basically saying that we are stuck here if we don't get another body. If this is all we've got, we're stuck. He's saying that you cannot come into the eternal kingdom of God looking like that. You can't come in here looking like that. So we have a really a being at the beach culture and the resort, resort style. You know, everybody can think you can wear shorts and t-shirts and flip-flops and about anywhere and be served. But that's not the case all the time. You know, some places you show up... Um, 
Dave shared a story being at Disney showing up at a place and they wouldn't allow him to come in. They had to get, he had to get a code and everything. So he, he had to be clothed rightly to come in and partake. And so that's what the purpose is of us having to have another body. That we have to be clothed to come into God's kingdom. In verse 51, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So this mystery refers to something that was formerly hidden, but now has been divinely revealed. So what we're going on, we've been talking about those who die, right? We've been talking about death. So Paul continues this logical Response to saying, okay, what, what about the believers that are going to be alive when Christ returns? So we know that the dead in Christ will rise, but what about the believers that are still alive? I mean, are they going to be, they're going to be looking like, like seeing people rise and looking at themselves and looking at over there and like, what? Like, I, got, I got left out? Like, look at that over there. I still got this. And that's what he's saying. He's not saying that we all shall be changed. So this... So every Christian must undergo a future transformation. No one living or dead can enter into the kingdom of God without radical change. So the promises of verse 42 through 49 that we covered about uh, imperishable and, and being a power that is applicable to them as well. So this frame will be utterly changed into a heavenly glorified doxa body. I don't know a lot about it. I already said earlier I wasn't a plan this morning wasn't to chase around or prototype Jesus and try to draw any conclusion of what our bodies are going to be like. But I do know, well, I'm fairly confident there will be no more short jokes for this guy with this new doctor body. That's, my, that's one of my hopes, I'm just going to say. I told Kramer, as long as I can dunk a basketball, I'll be good. Uh-huh. So, our current bodies will be radically changed, whether living or dead, because we are absolutely unfitted for the kingdom now. So what are, so why? why? Why do I say that? I mean, that's such a, a demonstrative statement. Like, it's, this is fact. Why? Why does that matter? You know, just to think about it for a second. So what are some reasons for the absolute need to have a new glorified doctor body? We need it just to be able to stand in the presence of a holy God. We see in Scripture that nobody can even stand when He comes and He shows Himself to them, a glimpse of them. They're on their knees, they're on their face, they can't look at Him. So we absolutely need a body just to be able to stand in His presence. We need a new glorified body to be able to adequately worship Him. So our youngest, Hannah, she has a little happy dance, my happy dance, my happy, happy dance. She cannot contain the joy in her when she sees something. So that we need a new body so when we see our Savior, Jesus Christ, crack open the sky and come back, our Redeemer, we need a new body to contain the joy that we're going to have when we see that. And this is going to happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Verse 52. Verse 53, he continues to to push at this absolute need. It says, for the perishable body must put on imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. 
they're going to get me an iPad one day that I can swipe on instead of have paper. That's going to be, this is my comfort blanket up here. I'm just going to tell you this paper. Um, verse 54 through 56, let me read these for us. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Then shall come the past the same. Don't miss that reading this text. Death most certainly has a sting for our friends and families left behind right now. The Ortiz has lost a, a dear, godly man that meant the world to them. And as a church, we're called to mourn with those who mourn, and we're called to weep with those who weep. But we can't miss the cross-reference verse of this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you turn to me there, there's just a couple books to the right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Starting in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who are passed away, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. This is what we've been saying this last two weeks is that Christ's return is our greatest hope. Verse 14 says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. And so remember again that this phrase back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at the end here, it says, then shall come to pass. So death still has a sting. We know as we see, it's obvious that it still has a sting for those who are left behind that are grieving. But it yet still has a sting to those who, are, who actually die because our body is currently their body, if they're dead, is currently under the power of death. So there's this separation right now. As a believer, we know that your presence with the Lord, but your body is, is, is separated from your spirit. So we know that at the second coming, that is when the sting and the power of death will cease forever. Because that will be the reuniting of our bodies and our souls. So death has a sting now, but we cannot forget the gospel in this. The finished work of Jesus Christ has removed its venom. Yes, there's a sting, but the venom is gone by Christ. On the cross, the sting was absorbed by Christ. Its, it's venom was absorbed by Christ. And at His resurrection, the potency of that venom was conquered. So we're just awaiting what Christ has already done on our behalf. Verse 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Christian can celebrate the victory over the great enemies, death, sin, and Satan. Christ has already overcome these enemies. Without His finished work on our behalf, we will be powerless against them. 
So my whole message so far has been aimed directly at believers in Christ. So I hope as, you've, you, as a believer in Christ, you can look at this and say, Amen. It might be tough now, but Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a reuniting of my body and soul. But as I close, I want to take some time to really address the non-believers in the crowd, the non-believers that we are thankful that you come and that you sit and that we can walk with and point you to Christ. There's a truth about the resurrection that applies to you as well. It says it's the resurrection of the dead. It's not just the resurrection of believers. That's where my focus has been on. But there's a resurrection of the dead. It's a resurrection of everybody. However, the destination behind the resurrection is different. After the resurrection comes judgment for all mankind. Believers in Christ raised to eternal life and glory with God. Unbelievers, those outside of Christ, raised to eternal death in torment and separation from God. Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 says, As as many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in the middle of verse 7, says, and actually that section itself talks about, speaks about the judgment of Christ's coming. It says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might, This is going to happen when He comes on the day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who believed. The unbeliever is given a body. Just like the believer is given a body that can withstand and stand in the presence of a holy and glory-filled God. The unbeliever is given a body that can experience throughout eternity the just wrath of God. The eternal destruction in the unquenchable flames of hell. This is a hard truth to look people in the eyes and proclaim. But based on Scripture... From what we see in this book, if I do not, and if this church does not, we, we would be most unloving to you. So with a sincere care for your love, sincere care and love for your body and your soul, this church begs you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. If you're struggling with any of that or you want to know more about it, I'd ask you to grab a member of the church, see Randy up front, me, Justin, Jamin, 
and continue to, to ask what this means, what this future resurrection that's going to happen when Jesus comes back and all is rising and then face judgment, what that actually, how that actually works. If you have questions about it, we want to, to humbly walk beside you. So after service, we're going to have a time to take communion here. But after service, grab us. The chairs can wait to be put up. The drape can be wait to be put down. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.